Hello there, this is A.D. Robles, and you're listening to the Rise and Fall of the Gospel Coalition, Chapter 3. The, where did those charges come from? Do you know? I mean, No, they're unnamed. That's part of the really? problem. Yeah. Right. So unnamed sources have, have, uh, are presenting these things, right. which should make everybody take a pause. I believe Jesus would teach us to take the vaccine as a part of God's gift to humanity. about what the Bible whispers about, and we ought to shout about what it shouts about. And the Bible appears more to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. And you're wondering why multi-ethnicity isn't happening at your church. It's because you have a person that's black on the outside, but angeloid on the inside. All right. Well, welcome back to the show, The Rise and Fall of the Gospel Coalition. Chapter 3 is called The Grift, and I'm excited to get into today's interview. Today's interview is with Joel Webbin, uh, but before we get into that, um, let's just talk a little bit about uh, what I mean by the grift. Now, so far we've covered you know, how Big Eva operates as a, sort of a guild. It has a sort of a, 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 a organization that is kind of loosely, you know, official, but not really. It's kind of outside of the normal church structures, but it definitely does have, you know, sort of an established orthodoxy, an established, you know, rule set of engagement. And there's definitely people in the second episode we talked about, you know, there's some people that are in, there's some people that are out. If you're in, you're protected, you know, you, you get people coming to your defense, and you can kind of get away with all kinds of, let's just face it, sins. You can get away with sins if you're in the guild. Um, if you're out of the guild, you know, you're fair game. Just like in any cult, you know, people can slander you, lie to you, come after you, get, you know, underhanded and dirty, all that kind of stuff. And so we've talked about those two things, but but what we haven't talked about is, you know, really what what are the goals of the Gospel Coalition, right? What is Big Eva up to right now? And of course, if you go to Gospel Coalition's website, you know, you'll see that they've got some stated goals about the gospel and spreading the gospel and providing, you know, gospel-centered materials and things like that. That's that's what they say their goals are. But I think that if you read their articles and if you see their, you know, engagement on Twitter and what they're up to in that regard, their podcast stuff like that, I think that there's two missions and they're both related. What they're trying to do, in my opinion, is to move the church leftward politically. And, you know, you could be really nice and say they're doing that because they want to spread the gospel to people on the left, and it's sort of like a seeker-sensitive type of a thing. Or you can, you know, take my position and, and, and say, well, they're really—they they just want to import, you know, very sinful political ideologies— into the church because they themselves are socialists or Marxists or progressives, and so they want to promote that within the church. And I think that, you know, it depends it depends on the person, which 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 it is. Um, so that's I think their first goal. They they, they are trying to overtly pull the church uh, leftward and and really in, interject pagan politics into the church. But if they can't do that then the other thing that they're trying to do is at least normalize it. They want to at least make it normal and common and acceptable for, you know, people that have very progressive, really pagan political ideas 
to be in the church. They want it to be normal for them to be in the church. So you're either going to go left or you're going to be tolerant of the left, and that's what the Gospel Coalition's r- real goals are. But they can't. They know they're smart enough to know that they just can't come out and say that, right? They can't overtly say, and sometimes they do, but but they can't overtly say, "Look, you need to vote Democrat. You need to be progressive. You need to support AOC for Congress or whatever it is." They can't do that. But what they do is they 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 have a few different kinds of uh, tactics that they use in the form of articles or podcasts or things like that to to sort of to sort of push the church leftwards. And what I want to do in today's episode is, um, and, and, and like I said, we're interviewing Joel Webin from Right Response Ministries. I want to talk about some of those tactics, and there's definitely others, but these are some of the main ones that I've seen used. Um, and they're it's pretty sneaky when you see what they're up to um, when it comes to anytime they write on politics, anytime they write on, on social issues or things like that, they use these tactics all the time. If you want to find out more about this, actually, this is what I focus my book about. I wrote a book, um, and um, it is uh, called Social Justice Pharisees, Woke Church Tactics, and How to Engage Them. This book is all about the tactics that the woke use. In, and when I say the woke, you could just interject Big Eva in there, because Big Eva is woke as a joke, obviously. Um, the tactics Big Eva uses and how to engage them, how to how to fight back against them. And me and Joel are going to get into that in a little bit as well. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed this interview, and we'll see you on the other side. All right. So Joel Webin, thank you for joining me today. Joel is a pastor. Uh, he's a father. He's, uh, what, what do you call yourself, the leader of Right Response Ministries, the host? What is it? <laughs> Um, the czar, the sultan, the, czar? Um, no, the pre- president, <laughs> so not much more humble. <laughs> there you go. The, the czar, president with president. checks and balances, you know, with checks so. and balances. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got that. Yeah. Well, Joel actually invited me to a conference uh, a while back that I was able to speak at. And there was just a lot of people there. It was awesome. It was a great conference, Joel. So thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks um, I, I, how, how was the feedback on your end? I mean, Oh man, it's been awesome. I, I think yeah. that there's something powerful, like you do online stuff like this, you know, YouTubing and all this like podcasts, but they, like, there's just, it makes it tangible and physical and real when, when yeah. you gather in the flesh. So like we, it, it's, it's not even that we have so many more followers, although our, our, our following has ticked up since the conference. Um, awesome. But it's, but it's like the engagement that we have now, there's, there's just an added credibility. They're like, Oh, you're a real ministry. You did something yep. in the flesh. Yep. You know, and, and you're not just a YouTuber or something. So it's Abs- huge, absolutely. Good it, it, yeah, I totally agree with you. When you're in person, it's just it's very it's a very different vibe. And I think that a lot of people when they meet when they meet, you know, us or when I meet them, it's almost like I, I don't think that people are weirdos and like just a bunch of, of freaks kind of. But like when I meet someone and they're like, oh, yeah, you're just a normal guy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like meeting people who, who like the exact people who you you see commenting on your page. Yeah. It's like you engage with some of the comments and you're reading some of them. And and you know, in theory, this is a real person. But when they give you a hug in the flesh at the conference and thank you for your ministry, you're like, oh, man, this it it, it invigorates you because you're like what I'm doing actually counts. It's real. Amen. Like I like this is real ministry. So. Amen. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, again, thanks for joining the podcast. And what I wanted to talk to you about is just some of the uh, different ways that Gospel Coalition, uh, the the organization, accomplishes their mission. But before we get into that, let me ask you, Joel. So 
what do you think sort of the, um, not the stated goals of Gospel Coalition, not the stuff you're going to find on their about page. What, what do you think drives some of the articles and some of the things that they engage in? What's the secret goals here, in your opinion? Yeah, the secret goals is for everybody uh, who's a Christian to vote Democrat. The secret yeah. goal is they're, they're leftists, they're Marxists. Um, I like I so you know we were talking about this before we hit record but I would differ from some of my conservative faithful biblical brothers and sisters who I love and we partner with in a lot of ways um, you know but they, they would object to the gospel coalition and say they're blurring the lines between a uh, mm -hmm. a, a law gospel distinction or they're they're uh, yeah. blurring the lines between the fruit of the gospel and the gospel itself and and there may be some of that um, but but I would say that like. Like I, I told you this when Tim Keller, it was years ago, but um, he did this little video. It was like three minutes long and it was with these cool graphics and stuff. And it was about, um, you know, the, the plan of their church redeemer in their city, in their community um, to saturate New York City with the gospel um, and in such a way that they would reach like a 10% ratio of Christians in the city through the ministry of their local church. And that that would cause like a, a, a saturation point, a tipping point where it would infect the culture, that, that the beliefs, the Christian faith would have a cultural effect, that art would become more hopeful, um, all these things, and that people would see the beauty of Christ and be attracted. And that video, I'm saying all that to say, I loved it. Uh, it was fantastic. So like my big objection with the gospel coalition is not um, th their affinity with Abraham Kuyper. I have an affinity with Abraham Kuyper, right? I like, so my, my problem with the gospel coalition is not that they're Kuyperian, not it, like the gospel coalition is all of Christ for all of life. They are. The problem is uh, not their tactics or their methods. The problem is that, that they're, they're doing the things that you and I would agree with that we want to do in the opposite direction. It, that's the that's the problem. So so they're like when they're like all of Christ for all of life, and what that means is socialism, right? That right. that would be the problem. So, Joel, g g that's actually a great segue because one of the first kind of methods that I think they use in order to accomplish this is this idea of uh, neighbor love or loving your neighbor as yourself. Because lo love your neighbor as yourself is one of the the most popular things that Jesus ever said. Um, but I think a lot fewer people know that that's actually a quotation from Leviticus. Uh, then they know it comes from Jesus. And mm -hmm. so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, we understand that biblically as a summary of the, of the second table of the law, the 10 commandments right. and all of that. And so he's saying, you know, love your neighbor yourself. You know, that's the law of God, do the law of God. And when we see in the gospel coalition, love your neighbor as yourself. So often we see it talk about things like canceling church during COVID or mm -hmm. getting vaccinated or, um, you know, going to the Black Lives Matter rally. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. Um, do you think that they're intentionally twisting what love your neighbor means? Is it a tactic? Like, what, what are your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, great question. Yes, I do think it's intentional. So it's intentional. This is the reason why guys like you and me and John Harris, and the reason we're hard on the Gospel Coalition, just for your listeners, they, they need to hear this. Um, because Jesus holds teachers to a higher standard, to a higher account. And, and with greater revelation comes greater responsibility and moral culpability. Jesus said he's pronouncing woes 
on Israelite cities. And he says, woe to you, woe to you. Uh, for if the miracles, the signs and the wonders that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, if they had been performed in places like Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. So the principle is this. And then Jesus goes further and he talks about hierarchy, not just hierarchy on earth, because God does work. There is a hierarchy on earth. We're not egalitarians. Um, but but he, Jesus says there's a hierarchy, as it were, in hell um, to the one you know who, who disobeys um, to, to one degree, he'll receive a light beating, um, but to the one who uh, disobeys to a greater degree will uh, receive a severe yeah. beating. So no, nobody's going to be uh, comfortable in hell. Um, everybody's going to be yeah. uncomfortable, but some will be more uncomfortable than others. And so my point is, um, if you have greater knowledge, greater revelation uh, from God's truth, from God's word, you're held to a higher standard by not just by guys like me and you, but by God yeah. himself. And so I would say, yes, they do know. Um, therefore, Jesus said that to the Pharisees, because you claim to see your guilt remains. These guys claim to see the gospel. That, that's their claim is that we're we're intellectual and, and we we know theology and we love Calvin and we love this guy and we love that guy. So, yes, I think they absolutely know. And this is what I think they love about the, you know, um, the, the Jesus greatest commandment and second greatest commandment, right? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. Uh, this is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, they know these are Westminster confession guys. Now yeah. they don't hold to it. Um, you know, like Tim Keller is, is bypassing what's clear in the Westminster about uh, a male diaconate, male deacons by sure. oh, uh, no just, question. you know, you know, so like, so, but, but they, they claim to adhere to the Westminster confession. So the whole concept of, of, of love your neighbor rep, uh, being further fleshed out by the second table of the law, the Decalogue right. commandments, namely number five through 10, Tim Keller, of course he knows. Of course yeah. he knows. He he signed on the dotted line. He's confessional, or sub, yeah. you know, supposedly. So he knows. And this is what I I think. Not only is it intentional, but I think he he likes that. He he yeah. knows that that love your neighbor as yourself is is a um is a headline for the the second table of the law. And I think he likes it just the way he likes the fruit of the spirit having multiple fruits listed. Mm -hmm. Um, guys, gospel coalition guys, they like this because because they see it as, as um, like a toolkit, right? Like right. I'm building a house and in their case, you know, so it's like, I have a, a particular goal, something that, that I have in mind that I want to accomplish. And the house that they want to build is a house of Marxism, a house of socialism, a house of left leftism, um, a house of uh, globalism against nationalism. Mm -hmm. Like they have a particular house that they want to build. And if you're curious, what will, yeah. what, what are the dynamics of the house? Just look at the Democrat platform, right? And that's, yeah. that's the house that they want to build. And, but what they like about the fruit of the spirit and the second table of the law is that um, they view it as a toolkit. I can pull out a screwdriver for this particular task because I want to accomplish this. I can pull out a hammer for this particular task because I want to accomplish this. That's the way they view it. So, so when COVID hit, um, it's, it's love your neighbor as yourself, which is right and biblical, yeah. but then we would say, okay, and, and what does it mean to love your neighbor? Um, well, there's six different commandments that right. flesh that out, honor your father and mother, uh, do not murder, uh, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness and, and, uh, do not covet. And they would say, okay, well, this is what we're trying to accomplish with our, our Marxist goal. Uh, so we have six tools in our kit to choose from. Let's pick exclusively yeah. the do not murder and the general equity getting to the heart of that is do your neighbor no intentional harm boom churches are shut down boom you got to get vaxxed whereas we will look at that and we say yeah don't do you don't do frivolous um um you know reckless physical harm to your neighbor uh, but then we would also say don't bear false witness 
right? right? So don't go right. around scaring the public, scaring the bejesus right. out of them with, with, with a virus that we know kills less than 1% of the population. And the right. average person who's died has been 84 years old. And 85% of those who, the million that have died in the US had not one, not two, not three, but four simultaneous comorbidities. Um, it is virtually harmless to children, and yet we're we're pushing vac vaccination on children. You know what I mean? So it's just like so they I look do, at yeah. love your neighbor and they truncate it down to the sixth commandment. Whereas we would say uh, we're we're not taking away from the sixth commandment, but we're holding the sixth commandment in balance with the fifth and the seventh and the eighth and the ninth and the tenth. That right? Well, they well, like this that because they can pick and I choose. Exactly. No, I, th I think you're exactly right. Let me, let me just stop you right there because what they what what so often happens, and I mention this all the time, is that they they'll pick and choose a neighbor to love, and it's it's the neighbor of the moment. So whoever the neighbor is at the moment, that's who you need to love. And they forget that Jesus is not saying love your neighbor at the expense of your other neighbor. He doesn't right. say love your neighbor at, uh, in this way, but not in the other ways. Like he, it, it's it's every neighbor, and it's all the, it's 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 the whole moral law. So if to save a life you have to bear false witness against another neighbor, that's not allowed. And as mm -hmm. and as as conservative, you know, Bible believing Christians, we get that. And I think that that you're right to point that out. Uh, that's how you know it's a tool. Here's another way to know it's a tool, and it's a it's a deeply political tool. So. Going to the Black Lives Matter rally can become a matter of loving your neighbor as yourself to Gospel Coalition. Mm -hmm. But hypothetically, if someone were to get to, to make a rally uh, against the anti-white, you know, you know, rhetoric that they hear from critical theory being taught in schools and stuff like that, if somebody tried to make that a matter of loving your neighbor as yourself, they would never go for it. They would instantly see the problem of right. saying you're commanded to go to the you know the white person rally. They would instantly point it out even though a few months ago they were saying you got to go to the Black Lives Matter thing. And it's like, it's a tactic. It's a ploy. And I think you're 100% right. They they know what they're doing. Um, and, and, I, and I would just real quick add to that. Ahead. I think there's three big components. So when it comes to loving your neighbor, all, all I emphasized just a moment ago was, was one of, I think, three elements. Uh, number one, if, if when I'm commanded to love my neighbor, I need to um, employ all the elements of biblical love, um, not just one of them, but all of them. Um, so uh, to love my neighbor effectively, or, or I should say obediently, according to God's commands, um, I need to uh, seek to do him no physical harm, but I also need to seek to honor. I also need to seek uh, to not uh, bear false witness, not to lie to him or deceive him, uh, not to covet what he has, um, not to steal from him, um, not to be adulterous in my love, but there to be a fidelity. So, so number one, if I'm going to love my neighbor obediently, I need to employ all the elements of love not just one of them that, that, that I like in the moment. Number two, what you said, um, to love my neighbor, I can't love one neighbor at the expense of another. So I need to love my neighbor with all of love, biblical love. I need to love all of my neighbors, not just a couple of them, but all of my neighbors. And then the third piece is I need to love all of my neighbor, meaning I need to love his physical body because I'm not Gnostic, uh, but I also need to love his soul. What does the mm -hmm. Bible say about Christians who neglect the gathering? It said, do not neglect the gathering, Hebrews 10, 25, uh, but all, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And right before it, um, it says, uh, stir one another up or exhort one another. Um, and, and then immediately, Paul, without skipping a breath, says, not neglecting the gathering, as is the habit of some. So I take that exegetically to say, Paul's saying, uh, we need to stir one another up uh, to love and good works. And the chief 
context where that occurs is the gathering, the physical gathering of the saints on the Lord's day. And then if you cross-reference that over to Hebrews 3, he talks about uh, stir one another up to love and good works so that, in Hebrews chapter 3, so that there might not be found in any of you, brothers, um, an evil, an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead you to fall away from the living God. So if you take all that in context, basically I see the Apostle Paul saying this, um, one of the greatest threats for Christians is that they might turn out in the end to be an apostate. And in order to have a strong defense against the potential of apostasy, we should stir one another up. And to stir one another up, the primary context for that is the physical gathering on the Lord's day, aka neglecting to gather physically with the saints on the Lord's day puts the soul in jeopardy. But according to the narrative of COVID, at least early on when we didn't know a whole lot, uh, if we do gather physically on the Lord's day with the saints, it puts the body in jeopardy. So, so my point is, uh, well, the Christian who's seeking to be obedient wants to love um, all of his neighbors, not one neighbor at the expense of the other, but also all of each of his individual neighbors, his body and his soul, not just his flesh at the expense of the soul, and also not just the soul at the expense of the flesh. And we want to not just love in one way, but employ all the methods of love. So I say those three components, to love your neighbor means love your neighbor in all the ways that the Bible says is loving, love mm -hmm. all of your neighbors, not just one at the expense of the others, and love all of your neighbor, his body, his soul, the, the whole being. Uh, <clears throat> we're not just meat bags walking around. We, we have an <laughs> eternal soul. So those three elements. And I said, I would say that the gospel coalition completely uh, misses that. And I don't think it's because they're theologically dumb. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, what you said, you know, to some people, it might sound complicated, but, but actually God, God has given us such a, a blessing in the, in his law. Um, he, he actually spells out very nicely how to accomplish this. It's not, he didn't just tell us to love our neighbor and then say, well, you're on your own to figure out how to do it. Like right. he gave us a lot of framework that we can draw from. And obviously, you know, we can apply it to different situations and that, you know, there's some work that needs to be done there, but, but the Bible is, is so much better than anyone's ever told you it is. There's it's, it's there already. And I think that you're right to bring up the fact that a lot of these guys, you know, they're Westminster guys, they're London Baptist confession guys. They know this, they know this. And so they're doing this on purpose. Let's, let's move on to the next one, because uh, I wanted to talk about this for sure. You know, there's a, um, there's a, I, I call it a, a scam, uh, but there's a, 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 a phrase that's often used in Big Eva gospel coalition circles called countercultural ministry, being countercultural. And that's this <laughs> idea that that's, that's the goal. You want to be countercultural. And, um, I think that speaks to a lot of people because, you know, not everyone in our culture is a Christian. And so if we're going to be Christians, then, you know, it would make sense. We want to be countercultural mm -hmm. and that's all well and good. If you want to use that word, fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say you're bad, but what I often see in gospel coalition materials is they use that word, that buzzword. But when you get into the meat of what they're saying, they're actually talking about the opposite. Let me give you an example. So uh, during COVID, uh, Brett McCracken wrote an article that said, church, don't let the coronavirus divide you. And it talked about the three or four countercultural things that we can do right now to be different than the world in COVID. And the very first one talks about countercultural sacrifice. And the idea of it, uh, Joel, was that if you believe that, that uh, masks are stupid or closing your church is, is not necessary, you know, you don't believe the COVID narrative, 
then you need to bear with those of your brothers who do believe it and think it's it's not necessary. I think that's good advice, Joel. You know, we, we don't want to necessarily pass judgment on people. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Let's just stop there. Pretend that that's great advice. Then he says, if you're if you if you believe in the COVID narrative, don't pass judgment on those who don't. And that's good advice too. Like, okay, great. It's tit for tat, right? But ultimately, Joel, this is the funny part. Ultimately, he says, you should continue to do social distancing and Zoom church for the sake of others. That's the that's the that's the that's where he ends up. He says we should do that because we got to cater to both parties. Right now, now, Joel, not really. (laughs) So, Joel, so you you, you jumped on it because it's so obvious, right? Like, how is that catering to both parties? It's not. In fact, the exact opposite is catering to both parties. Keep church open. And if you're too scared to go to church, then you don't go. Exactly. So you suspend. Exactly. That that, that became so clear to me (laughs) and most of my elders. Unfortunately, one of my we were in California at the time. One of my elders uh, believed the Imperial College model, you know, 100 percent thought the church should stay closed down for two years. All that, you know, so just really, really, really missed this one, Um, you know, but uh, by God's grace, uh, we had a majority of our elders and we outvoted this guy because we thought it was serious. I mean, it was very few things did we ever decide without a unanimous vote, but this was one sure. of them. And and our position was in terms of biblical obedience, but also protecting um, Christian liberty, the liberty of the conscience. Um, we, we were saying, okay, but th- this is just logically, this is so, so simple. Um, we can gather as a church and those who don't want to gather, we can sus- uh, have an extra measure of grace for them for this season. Um, mm-hmm. So that allows the ones who are scared to stay home, uh, but it allows the ones whose consciences are bound that we should be worshiping together physically on the Lord's day to come. If we just shut down church, then what you're doing is you're taking half of your congregation and their conscience that says we should be gathering. And it says your conscience doesn't matter. And we are now forcing you to sin against your conscience by giving you no option. Um, and, you know, whereas if you gather, continue gathering, you're actually accommodating both. So, so I would say that like, you know, Eric is, you know, he, what he's saying in that is he's saying, all right, um, we need to accommodate the whole, all of our neighbors, right? It's basically what I was saying earlier, not just some of our neighbors, all of our neighbors. Um, That's what we should do in principle and theory. Now in practice, let me provide for you an example that will do the exact opposite, that will shun these neighbors and guess which neighbors it is, the the ones on the right, the ones that are more conservative. So, so, So Joel, so that's all, that's all great. And I agree with everything. Now, can I ask you, Joel, this was this was written early on. This was like May of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. It was early. You know, it started not in March. That early. Not that early, but yeah, right, go ahead. Go right. Ahead. But, you know, we've been doing yeah. this for two and a half years now. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, OK, was there anything countercultural about that at that time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Um, yeah, it was it was just like the Gospel Coalition in their typical um, their typical format. It was countercultural um, to faithful conservative Christians to Christian culture. That's right. Yeah, to Christian faithful culture. Yeah. Christian culture, which I right. find I, I find this all the time with Gospel Coalition materials where where they'll say something is countercultural and they don't really elaborate. I think I think it's just assumed you believe it's just the pagan culture, but it seems like it's counter, like, you know, Christian culture is what it right. is. When they say counterculture, it's counter Christian culture. I mean, you, right. you can look at the back of Tim Keller's books and, and you have endorsements from New York Times, Washington Post, right? So like, he can't be saying this is countercultural to, to <laughs> the elites in our secular culture in America today. 
because they're the ones who are praising him. Right. Yes. So the, the only people who are, are critiquing him are guys like you and I, um, conservative Christians, you know, so, yeah. so they are countercultural. The question is, which one, which culture? Yep. Jesus talks about the world, right? That's the culture that we should be counter to, the spirit yes. of this age. The, do not love the world, First John talks about. And what, what is the world? The, well, that the world is not just the word world is used in a lot of different ways, especially by, by the apostle John. And so he's not talking about, you know, the cosmos do not love the cosmos. We love creation because we love the creator. You know, we want to be good stewards of, of the creation. We want to exercise dominion in creation, all those kinds of things. So it's not don't love the world, meaning like plants and flowers. Um, and, and it's also not don't love the world, meaning the universal population, like don't love people. Um, and, you know, it means the world is, is being defined in that sense as the evil demonic system under Satan's rule, uh, which is a spiritual reality. However, Christians need to remember this, right? Our, our battle's not with flesh and blood, but well, yeah, that's true. But first Timothy also says that Satan, he, he takes captive, he takes mm -hmm. captive flesh and blood and, mm -hmm. and enlists them in his ranks. Um, and so Satan uses flesh and blood. And so there is a sense in which we, we are battling against flesh and blood using spiritual weapons that are not carnal and that are effective for pulling down ideology and strongholds and every lofty opinion that sets itself up and over against the, the king Christ. But my, my point in all that is do not love the world is, is the demonic system under Satan's realm. It's, it's worldly ideology. It's worldly uh, false pagan views. That's what we're not right. supposed to love. But the guys who harbor that, who have been enlisted in Satan's army, namely unbelievers who are children of the devil, according to John chapter eight, those people who hold to that worldly system are the people that the gospel coalition seems to be buddy buddy with. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, right. I just don't get it. You know, Joel, this is important. And, you know, if, if you've kind of zoned out a little bit here, you know, you know, pay attention here to what Joel just said, because and, and correct me if, if you haven't noticed this, Joel, but like I find it so common when it comes to nuance, sort of, you know, what, what they call nuance, you know, uh, ethical issues or moral issues. It is regular that Gospel Coalition and Big Eva types point to the pagans as they are getting this right. And we're not. Let me give you an example. Right. Uh, in the Woke Church book by Eric Mason, one of the things he says, I couldn't believe when he said this, like it just blew my mind. He said that that Jay-Z, the rapper, Jay-Z has done more for racial you know, reconciliation and healing than the church has in 2000 years or, or, or at least in a, a couple hundred years. Maybe that maybe maybe it was it's the, maybe it was the history of America. Right. Yeah. Probably 200 um, years. Yeah. Insane. I, like I couldn't, yeah. it blew my mind. I mean, like, honestly, I wonder sometimes what do these people think about God? If, if, if his word is so unclear, it's so unhelpful that we got to go look to a, a gangster rapper to actually right. figure out how to do this. And it's and, not and just with, in their defense, though, they would say, they would say, no, 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 we love the word of God. Um, it's Christians inability to be faithful to the word of God. So, so like in their defense, like this is a best case scenario, right? So like, like being as charitable as possible, they love the word of God. They think that, that, that God is right on the money, but Christians for the last 200 years in an entire nation have been completely unfaithful to apply the word of God in this particular issue. So what, what I would say is like, not just like, oh, they must hate God, like giving them the benefit of the doubt. I, I think they probably do have some hatred towards God, sure. but giving them the benefit of the doubt, at least a conservative Christian, a biblically faithful Christian should be able to admit they hate me. They hate, right. they for sure hate me. So why yeah, are you, I, why are you funding them? Why, why are you reading them? Why are you, they hate you. 
that, that, do. that's, that, that, that is, I'm glad you said it, man. I'm glad you said it. Um, I, I think so. In fact, I, I believe I've done some YouTube videos that has talked about, Hey, gospel coalition actually hates you. Yes. They, and they don't just do it about racial reconciliation. I mean, if you look at how, how they handle, uh, um, issues like, uh, like, well, COVID's one for sure. The pagans were definitely doing that a lot better. You know, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to uh, abortion, it's like, yeah, you know, the pagans aren't good on abortion, but they've got better solutions for doing it because, you know, socialism and light womb to tomb, that's how you really do it. It's not just, you know, banning abortion. Like, there, there's just so many instances where they, 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 they push this kind of a thing where it's like, and, well, and, why wouldn't you want to be countercultural at that point to Christians right. if the pagans are so good at it? And with that, they're setting up, you You have to pause for a moment. Like each, if you're reading a Cosmo Coalition article, you need like a yeah. day because you're going to have to pause at the end of each sentence, you know, and sure. really put your thinking cap on. So right that one of the things that they do is, you know, it's it's Tim Keller's third wayism kind of thing. Well, there's this and there's this and both of them yeah. are wrong. And, and that's true, right? So like Democrat platform, Republican platform. Um, is the Republican platform and their policy synonymous with the word of God? No. I would never make that argument. Of course not. There, there, there are atrocious sins and unbiblical ethics employed within the sure. Republican Party. Um, but, but the impression—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, well, to use Tim Keller's words against him. It's not what you're saying. It's what—it's what your <laughs> words do, right? It's, well, th this is what Tim Keller's words do to hold him to his own standard. His words give people the impression that both of these things are off. Democrats. Republicans, they're both off from the truth of God's word, but but it gives the impression that they're both equally off. They're both equally wrong. No, right. no, they're not both equally wrong. 49 out of 50 Democrats just voted to codify Roe into law and beyond Roe to, that in all 50 states for any reason, all the way up until a child is born and takes its first breath, that it would be legal for a mother to murder her child. 49 out of 50 Democrats, and then you have the Republican Party with plenty of problems, but not equal, not equal problems, not equally sinful. So it's this third wayism that, that gives the impression there are two wrongs and there is a right. But but slow down when you're reading that, when you see that, the first question you should ask is with these two wrongs, are they both equally wrong? That's yeah. a good question to ask. That's a really good question to ask. And then with the with the you know well womb to tomb like we actually you know yeah Republicans right so the reason I use Republican Democrat because they said Republicans love unborn people, uh, Democrats love born people right. There's the false dichotomy right. So they're both you know because because they can't just come out and say that abortion is good right. So they're gonna they're gonna tote the pro life you know law. Party line, and they're going to say, "Yeah, okay, we, you know, we shouldn't be aborting children in the womb, uh, but we also shouldn't be, you know, uh, setting setting up people who have been born to starve or to be poor or to be oppressed or to be this and that." But then, my my question is: Number one, are these equal? Right? Are these equal? Then number two is, um, in terms of methods, in terms of methods, does the Bible? prescribe something or does the bible just leave room for this to be a, a, a blank canvas for our own creative license and freedom to determine how to love i would say the bible doesn't just tell us to love our neighbor what we were talking about earlier the bible tells us how it tells us how to love our neighbor so so we know that we can't kill our unborn neighbor that's biblical that's clear but do we know that the, that we that the state should should steal from some working citizens in order to give them to other non-working citizens is that in the bible <laughs> right so that 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 would be the false dichotomy is i would say yeah. yeah let's love our neighbor from womb to tomb absolutely but then the, the question is how 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 that's right so the, it sounds like you're 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 jumping into this next thing that i want to talk cover <laughs> and bad. this is actually 
also from Brett McCracken, you know, recently he tweeted out something about, uh, well, it was right after the, the most recent school shooting. And, um, you know, here's what he said. He, he said, we've utterly fa failed our children when they can be brutally killed in the womb because enough adults clamor for abortion rights. And they can be brutally killed in the classroom because enough adults clamor for gun rights. A child's life is more precious than our rights. Now, now, obviously, everybody jumped on the logical problem here because, you know, and, and, and we'll just briefly touch on this. You know, an abortion rights are the right to kill a baby. That's the, that's what an abortion right is. Hmm. But a gun right is not the right to kill people with a gun. <laughs> you know, that's exactly. not what a gun right exactly. is. So th this is totally different, you know, and, and, and all of that. That's not really what I want to talk about. I mean, obviously, this is a logic fail. You know, my, my I, I was saying this, my seven year old would probably understand the logic fail here. And he's oh, not yeah. like an exceptionally gifted, you it's know, false like dichotomy. Always. it's a false. It's a false dichotomy. But going along with what you just said, Joel, what is it trying to do? Right. This false dichotomy. What is it trying to do? And I believe what you just said is exactly what this is trying to do. It's trying to create. Look. Republicans are wrong, too, and it's mm. a moral equivalence here. You see, yep. there's they're just as wrong by saying, you know, you shouldn't be banned from having a gun uh, as the abortion people are that say you should be able to have an abortion. Do you think I'm off there or do you think maybe Brett no. just, just doesn't get it or like? No, you're absolutely right. And and I think another great example of this would be Tabidi Anabwile. Uh, it's hard to yeah. pronounce fake names. I think, but, that's, uh, I think you, you know, nailed it. Yeah. But yeah, Anabwile. Um, but one of the things he said back in 2016 before the election between Trump and Hillary with Matt Chandler on a podcast uh, and, and, and um, video, whatever. Uh, and and to Chandler's credit, he pushed back and was like, "Whoa, dude! I I don't think we can go that far. Like, I I I want us to be progressive, <laughs> you know, but not that progressive." <laughs> I think that's kind of what Chandler was saying. Um, but basically, what he said is, uh, he he straight up said that Christians should vote for Hillary. And he said, you know, the evil that we know is better than the evil that we don't know. And I understand, just for the record, I understand guys who didn't vote for Trump in 2016. I, sure, sure, I didn't vote Trump in 2016 because I, I didn't feel like there was any evidence or proof um, to to trust him. Right. I didn't I didn't right. believe him. Um, but but the fact that I didn't vote for Trump doesn't mean that I went out and voted for Hillary. That's just insane. That, that's right. absolutely insane. Um, and so, you know, and then after four years of Trump, despite some of his flaws and all those kinds of things, uh, I you you bet your bottom dollar I, I voted for sure. him in, in 2020. So all that being said, um, Tabidi, he, he didn't say um, that we shouldn't vote for Trump because there's there's uh, legitimate reasons to hesitate. That would be fine. He he straight up said we should vote for Hillary over Trump. And he said this, number one, uh, because we we got a game plan. The evangelical church has a game plan with the Clintons, you know, and like we, we the, the enemy that we know is better than the enemy we don't. But then he said, all right, yeah, abortion, you know, because Chandler started to push back some well, abortion, dude, this, this guy, uh, you know, this girl, you know, Hillary would have the most progressive position on abortion our nation has ever, ever seen. Um, and he says, yeah, well, ab abortion, you know, Christians always say this is near, you know, the life of the unborn is near and dear to the heart of God. And he said this specifically, he said, um, but what I want Christians to recognize is God's got a big heart. All right. So this, yes, this is near and dear to the heart of God, but God's got a big heart. And then he began to list examples of other things that are near and dear to the heart of God, like right. uh, poverty right. um, and racism. And, right. and so again, that, that's what they always do. Right. So what he's doing right there, like there's there's uh, at least two questions we should ask. Number one is, um, are these things equal in the sight of God? Because I don't think they are. I, I do not think 
um, that murdering unborn children is is equal to poverty, and especially because right. we have to be specific, poverty in America in 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 2016, which is very right. different than the right. poverty that Jesus speaks to in the first century in the in the Middle East. And so, um, so is is our definition of poverty um, equal to a million children murdered by their own mothers? every single year, 60 million and counting in the last 49, 50 years. No. So number one, um, yes, there are multiple things in the heart of God, as it were, and, and abortion is not the only issue, but it's bigger. It is not equal. It is bigger. Second, the question is, but, but then how, again, how do we love the unborn child? Well, that one's really easy. Don't kill it. In, in the question of should we kill the child or not, that's really easy to know how to, to love the child. In the question of poverty, um, that that is that is far more complex of like how do we actually care for the poor? Um, but you're right, like you know, you get into complexes complexities and all these different things. Uh, the, that's why the Bible is so helpful because you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You can be smart or you can be obedient. That's the beauty of the Bible, right? And so if you Amen. read the Bible, well, what does the Bible say about if, if a man is not willing to work, let him not eat? So right. how do you love the poor who are actually poor by their own doing? Well, the way that you love them is you let them starve. The, the prodigal son, right, while he was far off and a famine hit that land, he was far off from his father's house. He was longing to be fed with the pods uh, that he was giving to the, the pigs. And the, the Bible says something very specific. It says, and no one gave him anything. And the very next words are, and then he came to his senses. One of the reasons why people aren't repenting in our nation is because we keep bailing them out from God's judgment on their sin. The church, God gospel coalition keeps bailing them out, mitigating God's consequences for their rebellion. So they're not actually having to, to lie in the beds that they, they made. Um, you know, they're, they're not actually having to experience God's judgment for their sin. But here's the, here's the thing. God's judgment for sinners in this life, in this life is loving. It is loving because, because that's one of the things that brings us to repentance is, is, is actually experiencing the ugliness and the destructive nature of sin. And one of the reasons why we have pagans in our culture not repenting is because evangelicals, influenced by the Gospel Coalition, keep making sure that the pagans never have to taste uh, have a taste of their own medicine. Right. Right. It's... it's, it's uh... <laughs> yes, I, I'm. I'm in complete agreement, and and it's no wonder that um, you know, when when you when you think of all of the the, you know, the 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 pestilence that's been on our nation, the economic calamity, all kinds of different uh, judgments from God, you know, the solutions there, you know, it's never, hey, you know, we need to repent in sackcloth and ashes. It's it's more, you know, the government's going to save us. You know, we'll just right. do some more quantitative easing, and it'll be fine. Where does your help come from? Well, when you're a socialist. It comes from the government. That's where your right. help comes from. Uh, Which really means it comes, it comes from my, my faithful neighbor. Like people have to remember the government, when the government gives you money, um, that means the government is stealing money from somebody else and giving it to right. The government doesn't have money. The government uh, produces nothing. The, the government is not a business. They're not a for-profit business. They 
they don't have a commodity. They don't, they don't produce something. Um, all, so when the government says we're gonna we're gonna you know print this many trillion dollars, what that means is is we're going to give a, a across the board tax to everyone by virtue of inflation, by printing money so that we have too much money chasing too few goods, we're going to knowingly and deliberately um, induce inflation, which is going to function as, as a, a tax for everyone, which means which means those who, who were willing to take the risk and continue working during this pandemic, um, they will be equally punished with those who hid uh, in their homes for the last two years. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. egalitarianism to the, it's so, so part of the reason people don't experience the consequences is because what we do is we punish everybody. We punish everybody, every single time. And we share the consequences across the whole, right? So those who actually uh, did what was wrong, they get punished less. And those who did right, they get punished more. It's the opposite of Romans 13. This is, would you have no fear of the one who rules over you? Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you want um, a, a, a method for not uh, having to be afraid of receiving punishment from the civil magistrate? Do what is good. But in our nation, agreed by the Gospel Coalition, because they agree with this, uh, they would take Romans 13 and say, no, nah, nah, not the word of God. God got it wrong. God's straight up wrong. Um, God's word says that there's a way to avoid punishment from the civil magistrate, and that way is by being righteous and doing what is good. Gospel Coalition would say uh, there's no way to um, uh, avoid uh, the taxation of inflation by the government because uh, God, what he really wants for you is not to avoid punishment by being righteous. What he really wants for you is to co-conspire with those who do what is wicked, and then everybody get an egalitarian punishment and consequence shared across the board. That, yeah, it's just anti-biblical. You know, that, that last bit there is just so important. It's just, it's not that, it's not that Big Eva and Gospel Coalition are like a little bit off when it comes to, you know, how to apply God's law to society, how to apply it to politics and stuff like that. I think we can all agree that <clears throat> we haven't gotten a whole lot of training on that. And so for someone to be a little bit off on that, we, we can, we, you know, we can have a lot of grace for that. It's not that they're a little bit off, though. It's that they're completely morally upside down. I remember Rush Dooney said this. I don't remember which book it was, but basically he said that that pagan politics has a moral system, and their 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 political system has it, it makes a certain amount of sense. And here's what it is: it's punish the innocent and set free the guilty. That's their that's their whole system. Innocent people get punished, and the guilty go free. And it makes sense that, that Satan, who's upside down from Christ, Satan would have an upside down ethical system. He'd have an upside down morality. He, of course, he would have an upside down politics. And that's what we see being either promoted outright or soft peddled in the church. And we just can't stand for that kind of thing anymore. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed that. And and you know, obviously, you know, Pastor Pastor Joel, you know, he thinks, and I agree with him, that these Big Eva and Gospel Coalition, they're 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 self conscious about what they're up to. You know, they're they're pu pushing the church leftward, and they're doing it on purpose, and they're doing it in very underhanded ways. I mean, to say that they're they're twisting scripture is that does not do justice to people who t twist scripture. I mean, they're they're twisting scripture with the best of them. I guess I'll just say that. And I think that if you're not convinced that this is political, I mean, just look at what's happening in the last few weeks even, or really the last few years, regarding the, 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 the fear porn about Christian nationalism. I saw 
just over the weekend on Memorial Day, you know, there was some Republican in Pennsylvania who I guess won a nomination for governor or something like that. And I guess he's an overt Christian and stuff like that. And it's a big scare headline on Drudge Report, the rise of Christian nationalism. And it's supposed to get you really scared and really fearful that Christian nationalism is on the rise. And 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 the, the, the fact that that people can can say that Christians can see that headline and not know that what they're talking about is any Christian who's a Christian in public life. Like, if you're a Christian politician, you better check your Christianity at the door before you come into the halls of Congress, because unless you do, you're one of these scary Christian nationalists that needs to be feared. Guys, if you're if you have pastors or favorite Christian theologians that are using that same rhetoric, this is obvious pagan rhetoric against Christianity proper, like Christianity itself. That when they say Christian nationalist, they mean Christian. If your pastor is participating in that, then I would submit that there's a better than 99% chance that your pastor is one of these that is pushing progressivism in the church, that's pushing sinful political ideologies in the church, and they're doing it intentionally. If they're using the devil's playbook, there's a good chance that they play for the devil. And so, you know, j- j- just 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 look at how how much fear is being pumped about Christian nationalism and realize that that means anyone who's a public Christian is now a Christian nationalist. And if your quote-unquote Christian leader is participating in that, then they're participating in the event. The idea is to persecute Christians. That's what they want to do. That's Eventually, that's what's going to happen. And if your pastor's participating in that, which a lot of pastors will, it's going to be a lot more than we think, then... Um, Quite frankly, I would if it was me, I would run for the hills. I would I would leave that church and I wouldn't even think twice about it. That is such a warning sign. If if and it, let's just say they're a good guy. Let, <clears throat> let's say he's not an enemy, right? Your pastor who's doing this is not an enemy. Well, <clears throat> if he can't see this play coming, this they're telegraphing this pass. This is they they they're going to quickly drop the nationalism from the specter of Christian nationalism. Any Christian is the next target. If they can't see that play coming, I, I, I have to question how they're going to prepare you for what's to come in, in, in the United States in the next few years. Anyway, I hope you found this podcast helpful. Join, d- join us next time on the rise and fall of the Gospel Coalition. Mm-hmm.